everybody welcome to the 258th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man i drove from medford oregon to beaverton oregon today and we're doing a podcast the same day and i'm you know my back hurts and uh but i'm here i'm ready to talk about the blazers uh week that was and I created a new build in 2K and I'm real I'm really ready to get all the hate messages that I deserve. So I'm I'm ready. What was the best two things? How was your Thanksgiving? And what was the best thing you ate over the weekend? Hmm. So how's the Thanksgiving? It was it, it was cool. Like um I made the mashed potatoes, my mom made turkey and stuffing, my brother made some really good collard greens with all the ham in the world. Um, so it was it was cool. We all we all collaborated to uh, make a fun dinner and it was, it was a show. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, to answer your second question, I don't know if my mom listened to two weeks ago when I said we didn't make dessert. Well, that changed a lot. Um, my mom has like these persimmon trees in her yard. And I guess this is the time to harvest them and freeze them. So we made cheesecake, persimmon cheesecake, persimmon uh, bread pudding persimmon brownies so we were we were baking up a storm and like this is the first time we've ever baked like my brother and i were just like well we don't have enough eggs so let's just add more persimmon and it worked <laughs> like he was looking at the wrong recipe and i was looking at the right one so he doubled the butter and, and uh like the wet ingredients so i was like well shit do we have to double the dry too so we did and we ran out of eggs and we just used persimmon puree to account for three eggs <laughs> and it turned out great. So it was a very uh, productive baking um, uh, Thanksgiving period. How was yours? It was good. Uh, the food we ordered was fantastic. I think the best thing that I ate, I'm going to toot my own horn. I think I make some incredible mashed potatoes so oh, those, were, those were probably my favorite we also got like a cheese board with and then we got some pickles and, and olives and crackers and, like went to town on those uh went hard so we had a really late thanksgiving dinner because we were like no we ate a lot of uh, cheese so that how was, do you make your mashed potatoes that sets it apart from other mashed potatoes one i use red potatoes I think red is the superior of the mashed potato to leave the skins on. I think the skins have a good texture and they add a good taste. And then when you're making mashed potatoes, like usually when, when we, when we cook, we try to like cook somewhat healthy and, you know, not go too heavy on the <laughs> fattier ingredients. But when it's Thanksgiving, put your milk in, make sure they're not too runny, like just a little bit of milk, but then like we use Greek yogurt uh, salt, pepper, cheese, shredded cheese, and don't skimp on the butter. Now you don't want it to go like overload. Like you, you taste as you go and you mash them, you drain them, all that good stuff. And you, you just season a little bit of garlic powder as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you just get it to your liking. And they, they, I, I like the mashed potatoes a little bit 
not super creamy, like a little bit of uh, texture and, and lumps. It's just, it's just a. I, do you want to do you want a hint from a recipe from my grandfather who you leave a little bit of the water that you uh, boil the potatoes in, so it get, makes it a little more moist. So my mom was like, leave like a little bit so you can add so that it can have all the gluten from the potatoes and make it a little more fluffy. So, yeah, that, that's a tip. Uh, we we used a lot of butter. And have you ever tried ghee, the clarified butter? No, that's some real that's some real uh, foodie shit. Ghee. <laughs> I, th- I think it's clarified butter. But we had this really nice ghee, butter, cheese. Like all the shit I shouldn't eat because of my lactose intolerance, but it didn't, oh, yeah. Your it didn't boy, affect um, me. It did it not was, affect me once. So I, I was backed up Black Friday. Let's just say that all, all the cheese. So um, you know. Did you did you celebrate Black Friday? Um online, digitally. <laughs> yeah, I, I I uh I got my mom a really nice coat. And then I got everybody in the family a nice a nice coat for uh, them cold weathers, bro. Like I, I remember when I was younger, I was like, I wore shorts in in December, but now I am I am bundled up like a like a a weak 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 person when it comes to cold, bro. Like beanie on, I, I was I was slippers on. Like I used to be a fucking menace to society in the cold now i am just so 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 soft now that old age is a motherfucker i had a few presents i needed to get for for olga and i don't think any of them really were on only two of them were on were on discount a couple just they were going to be the same price year round but i olga unfortunately had to work so i was home alone and uh like the movie uh, like the movie (laughs) so i woke up and a piece of pecan pie with whipped cream in a cup of coffee sounded amazing. So I had that for breakfast. The pecan pie was probably the other best thing I had to eat. Um, that was incredible. Still have a little bit left. So I'm thankful for that. And yeah, I just, I did my shopping and I was, I was done by like noon. Um, good, good to go. Even got my secret Santa from work. Uh, so yeah, happy that was, was done and went to Autzen stadium on Saturday for Oregon, Oregon State, and that quarterback on the Beavers has the weirdest throwing motion ever. It looks like a damn uh, like shortstop. Yeah, I like your your Ducks don't step on necks enough. They let Oregon in the game. If they didn't do dumb shit like avoid using their good kicker in the first few quarters, it would have been a much different game. Like, god damn, you guys just. Like to make it interesting. You don't want to just wire to wire kick their ass where they have no chance of. I think Anthony Brown is that the quarterback's name? Anthony Brown, yeah, he had his probably his. He was he was great. This was the game where he was great. Like I've watched a few, and it was like, oh, he doesn't look for the easy pass. Mm -mm. Like, you know the like, I've watched Drew Brees a lot, and later in his career, Drew Brees hit the slant route all the time. Anthony Brown does not look at that slant route. Slant routes are for uh, for wimps. He's trying to he's trying to find he, a much he different. He did he did on that touchdown. So he did a little bit, but you know the offensive line protected him. Had gave him all the time in the world. Uh, to your point, yes, they they always make it interesting. It is the bane of my sports existence this year. Oddly enough, the game against Ohio State was probably their best 
performance from start to finish, and it was against their toughest opponent. So uh, we'll see how they they play against Utah in kind of a revenge game. It would be awesome to get back to the Rose Bowl once again. That's always a fun. That was actually my first Oregon Oregon State game at Autzen. I've been to three prior in Corvallis, so it was nice to uh, be there um, this year. Great weather as always, and before we get into the Blazers, I had why I kept telling you to drive safe. I was on my way back. It's about 745. I'm I'm like one mile away from my exit off of I-5. I have my windows down because I I drive an older car and I want the defrost doesn't work super well. So I keep the windows down. So it it airs it out. I don't, it doesn't fog up, have my music blaring, but I hear, I hear tires just screeching before I see it. I look in my rear view and I drive, you know, this little four-door sedan. This is this lifted big ass pickup is just right on my ass in the slow lane because I'm getting ready to exit and I'm having to speed up. Thankfully, there's nobody around me. He is uh, swerving left and right, trying to get control of his vehicle. Finally does a 180, goes up against the barrier and comes nose to nose with the car in the far left-hand lane. Thankfully, that car in the left-hand lane had saw it unfolding and slowed down. So there wasn't a collision but had that been in rush hour or more cars, like it would have been a major pileup. And I was just thankful that uh, I didn't look like anybody got hurt. Uh, you know, I was left unscathed, you know, for very fortunately, but it was like slow motion. You see this car coming at you and you don't, it really does slow down when you get in, in those moments. So um, always, Keep your head in a swivel. So anytime I hear that you're making that drive, I'm like, be safe. I-5 is a monster. Oh, yeah, bro. I know this I-5 from Portland to uh, to uh, Southern Oregon. I know it very well now. Like, I've never really had any close calls on the I-5. It's mostly close calls on, like, you know, city driving because people yeah. are dummies. And sometimes I'm a dummy. But, you know... Even though the Blazers sometimes play like dummies, they're still our team. Oh, Sage with the transition. I like it. Let's kick it off with a little good, bad, and ugly for the week that was. Before I get your good, a quick rundown of what happened for the Portland Trailblazers this past week. They went one in three um, as they knocked off the Denver Nuggets at home, 119 to 100. Damon CJ looked brilliant together, but as expected, Portland goes winless on their three game roads road trip over the Thanksgiving holiday, losing 125, 121 in Sacramento, dropping to 0 and 2 on the regular season against the, the Kings who were, who were without Rashawn Holmes and De'Aaron Fox got ejected in the second half. The Golden State Warriors on Black Friday put Portland away with a huge third quarter run, 118 to 103. And then just now on uh, Monday evening, the Utah Jazz used another third quarter run to put Portland away, defeating our Blazers 129 to 107. Sage, the Blazers fall to 10 and 11 on the regular season, which currently puts them in 10th in the Western Conference. What was your good from that week that was? So I you you know I've bitched about minutes rotations forever, 
now this season. Yusuf Nurkic hit 30 minutes in a game this year. That is my good. The Kings at that time, I am unprepared for this. Alvin Gentry went with a big lineup of Damian Jones and Marvin Bagley from like uh, the sixth minute of the third quarter till the end of the game. It kind of forced our hand to play Yusuf Nurkic extra stints because Marvin Bagley had probably his best game of the year up to that point. And Damon Jones was just skying over everybody for dunks. Shout out to Nasir Little for blocking that shot. One of the Damon uh, Jones dunks, but we needed to go big. And for the first time all year, he let Yusuf Nurkic off the, off the bench in the fourth quarter. He had two fourth quarter stints in this game. I know we didn't win, but to see that he was willing to actually play the big man made me really happy to see him go to 30 minutes. And then the next game we played, Yusuf Nurkic was like on 30% of people's rosters, but I knew that he wasn't getting anywhere close to 30 in the next game against the Warriors. Not happening, but I was very no, not, happy not to against, see. Not against Golden State. No, that, no way. Golden State is a team where you have to play five defenders that can switch and switch well because if there's even one weak link, they Draymond, can expose. Draymond Green and Steve Kerr and Steph Curry are going to expose you, and they mm-hmm. they they are some of the the smartest players and coaches currently in in the league, and it was just impressive watching how they were manipulating Portland to where they wanted to go. And so that's where it was like, it was good that Yusuf played against Sacramento, but you could tell that they were putting him in pick and rolls and he's, he's not going to be able to go under or over Steph Curry on a screen. Like CJ and, and Anthony were losing Steph in the bat of an eye. That's I mean, that's just how incredible Curry is. That's not a knock. That, yeah. Our... What what can Yusuf do? He's three hundred pounds and seven feet. He has no chance. But I, I was very happy to see that Chauncey Billups at least played him thirty minutes in a game where it was beneficial to go big. My good for the week. It's short and sweet. Fifteen of the next nineteen games for Portland are at home. <laughs> So that means in April, it's all the way, huh? Portland is nine and one at home, which is the second best in the NBA behind the Golden State Warriors, who are 11 and one. I took an early guess just before this podcast and just kind of played schedule maker. I think they win at least 11 of those 12 home games. Could you uh, say them out loud to us? Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm making you read. I'm uh, my bad. Well, let's go down. All right. So. Pistons, probably a dub. Spurs, a dub. Celtics, I'll give them that win. I think they beat the Clippers and they split the season series with, with Los Angeles. Um, you got Minnesota, that's a dub. Yeah. Probably lose to Phoenix. Probably beat Memphis. Probably beat Charlotte. I think Brooklyn probably gets us. And then you've got two games, uh, not back-to-back, but back-to-back in terms of the schedule. Uh, Dallas and Utah, I think they split those. I don't know which one gets the win, which one gets the loss. Um, Atlanta's probably a victory. Miami seems to give us fit, so I'll give the Heat the win there. And then you finish off with Cleveland and Sacramento, which I think they'll win both of those. Oh, so oh, yeah. that's that's probably 11 mm-hmm. wins right there. And the road games aren't much more 
uh, winnable. I mean, you're looking at Golden State, Memphis, New Orleans, and Los Angeles. We're going to win against New Orleans. Maybe if Zion might be back by then. So I don't believe it, but December 21st. That's a month. Oh, man. Yeah, I, he'll be back. I can't He's, wait to watch Herb Jones on one of our guards. Either way, <laughs> you're looking at Portland being 11 wins, maybe a road victory in there. You're looking at 21 and 19, 22 and 18. That's that's four, three to four games above 500. You would hope that at that point that Portland could then take that mojo on the road and string together some, some victories. Um, but Portland also has to be very cautious that they don't fall into the trap of fool's gold where, yeah, you're winning all these games. Like, like I said, Portland could reel off all those home victories but if they don't win on the road or look competitive on the road, uh, it's hard to take Portland um, seriously. When you also factor in that the Western Conference, I think, is significantly down this year. A lot of it has to do with age of some certain superstars. When you're looking at like a LeBron in Los Angeles, they also traded for Westbrook, who hasn't been the best fit. You look at the Denver Nuggets, who have just been decimated by injuries. You've got Michael Porter Jr., who just had back surgery. He's out for the entire season. Jamal Murray probably won't be back until the spring. Uh, PJ Dozier tours ACL against the Blazers. He that is was out. a sad one. He is out for the season. So you have Denver, who is not going to be a factor this year. Could they win a round like they did last year without Jamal Murray? Absolutely. But I think that's Denver's ceiling. You start to look, look ahead. Dallas still hasn't found that piece next to Luka Doncic. Who knows what Kawhi looks like when he comes back? Really? It's Golden State and Phoenix. Utah's at 14 and seven. They're probably up in that that echelon as well, but Golden State and Phoenix. And then really four through 10 right now, 25% into the season, Portland's only a game and a half back of the Clippers. The Clippers are at 11 and nine, Portland's at 10 and 11. And I really don't see any of the teams not currently in the play-in when you talk about Sacramento, San Antonio, OKC, New Orleans, Houston. I don't see those teams making a charge to come up into that play-in scenario. So if you're Portland, you're kind of doing a balancing act, right? You want to make sure you get your victories, but you also want to make sure that you are, I don't know, I don't know if style points is the, the right way to, to look at it, but you want to play the right way. You definitely want to rack up some some victories on the road because the way the West is currently stacked that four seed is so gettable mm-hmm. and you can reach i think the blazer ceiling is the second round you can reach your ceiling if you start to handle your business and the schedule has i think has been incredibly easy so far for the blazers especially given the teams they've played without their heavy hitters um they're about to get a huge dose of home cooking if they can now is the time to make their move is essentially what i'm saying like I don't know if it makes them a championship contender. I think everyone in Rip City probably wants to see them make a deal. But for the time being, this is the roster that is currently competing on a night in and night out basis. If if they are if they are a sprinter and, and they're running a race, now is when they have to hit their kick mm. because you have to start to get some separation from these teams. You have to start to get above 500, get some momentum. Because if you don't do it now, Sage, just like you mentioned when I told you 15 of the next 19 are at home, those road games are coming and they're coming up quick. And you want to have a good cushion 
when those road games come a calling. There's going to be a lot of away game. When do the Blazers just believe we're a bad away from home team? Do you think that's starting to set in with them going one win and a bunch of losses? When I was watching that Utah game, I felt like Utah had it in hand the entire time. They were playing like Terry Stotts's Dame years where Dame just did everything and pounded the ball in the first quarter. And then the second quarter, they were just like, oh, this team's bad at defense. Let's just abuse them. When does the point where they have to win some away games or this is going to be a legitimate real thing? Or is it already a legitimate real thing? It has to already be there, Sage. When you are 1-10 in on the road, with only the Houston Rockets as the that's a I, bad I, win, like that's not a that's not a statement that's, win at that's all. Not at all. Houston is the only worst road record yeah. in in the entire league. You've already played twenty more than twenty five percent of of your road games. What I have seen from Portland is they just kind of have no effort and no fight on the road. Like they get punched in the mouth and they just kind of recoil. And like they, they, they just, they just take that result. They're like, yep, we're losing tonight. When you, when you see them at home, they can be down 20 and they, yeah, they know, that- they believe they're going to come back. It's really an oddity. I can't put my finger on it. Um, maybe it's all of the uncertainties that's, you know, hanging above the franchise, whether it's Olshay, whether it's Lillard, whether it's McCollum, the new coach, uh, just everything rotations like yeah everything that that has gone on i mean you don't want to dog i i don't think they're a team that would dog it in front of their home fans and i think that's probably what's keeping them alive at home is shit we don't want to get booed like these fans pay good money to watch us play like let's let's go out there and and have some hometown pride but on the road it's like eh, you know whatever like i feel like this team knows they suck on the road and it shows it's, it's a mentality now. It's almost like, you know, when you go up to the free throw line and you're like, oh, I'm a bad free throw shooter. I'm, I'm not going to be bricking. You brick it. Mm-hmm. You have when you have confidence and you show up, um, it, it comes through. Uh, but that, that was I mean, that that shows you the week that was like that. That was our good. And we started to get into other topics that weren't as good. I, so I have you, a good B. OK, you're good. Anthony, Anthony Simon's. Win nuclear a bunch this this uh this week he had a really awesome third quarter against the uh warriors which made the game look like it was closer than it actually is and then uh he was 10 for 15 tonight yeah he he's had some really high high ceiling games some nuclear games so to see him perform like we shouldn't though that warriors game to bring draymond back to defend anthony simons so Having the the you know the best defender in the league have to guard your fourth year guard is pretty good. So that's that's my good junior. What's your bad for the week? Bad. I've started to notice this. Teams don't respect Nasir Little shot at all. If you watch that game today, when Bojan Bogdanovic was on Nasir Little, he treated him like Kent Bazemore. He treated him like you. The Utah Jazz showed more uh, respect to Yusuf Nurkic hitting a corner three than they did to Nasir Little, and I think that's starting to be a trend. They know the scouting report on Nasir is that he's a really good slasher and an inconsistent shooter. So if teams are just when he's in, 
they're they're just collapsing the paint. So there's not much that uh, the Blazers can do when there's when you're driving to the paint for the kick kick shoot. Well, if you can't drive to the lane because they're trapping you essentially because they don't respect our shooters, that's a problem. So Nasir Little needs to at least show that he's willing to shoot the three so that they can show a little respect to him. Because when I was watching him, like they're, they, they just did not care what he did. As long as he wasn't actively slashing, they didn't, he was not a threat. So I think that that's why Tony Snell started with uh, Norman Powell out because he at least has the respect of the, uh, the opposing team. Like, if he's open, he'll shoot it and probably make it at a four out of 10 clip. With Nasir, they don't even trust him at all. So the, the spacing with Nasir Little when he was in the game this week was my bad. Yeah, and in a season like this, I still want to see Nasir shoot the ball. I want to see him develop. I don't care if he goes one for 10. Uh, I think he needs the reps. I, I think the, he the PT would... is invaluable for him right now. Exactly. I mean, but it, it's seen... something that I noticed, like, our offense is awful right now. Why? Oh shit! The th- the small forward at all times doesn't respect our three point shooting, you know, youngest player. That's a problem. So we need to. I don't know how to get people to respect his shot in any like. I think everybody's seen the highlight dunks and the top shots, so they know. Oh, this guy is an athletic freak, but they don't respect the shot whatsoever. So it was just like it was. Rem- it was triggering me like. Is Kent Bazemore on our team? Why is it such bad spacing? Nasir Little. You have the other forward opposite in this year almost refuses to shoot the basketball. Yeah, something's Tony. wrong with him, man. He's he I used to make fun of Tony Snell for he's just running cardio right now. Robert Covington's running cardio right now. And <laughs> did you see the replay of him throwing the mask and it ricocheting it? Did you think he deserved to get kicked out of the game for that? No. He, he like I think I was listening to on the radio. They they always he always throws his mask like just toss it like it just happened to bounce and hit the official and they they get they get in a tizzy fit and like oh we have to throw you out because you become no but I don't think I I did not like the call. Yeah, I mean he's a six eight body and when you're so lacking in height have not even ha- having him put so much more stress on you know, Larry Nance and Yusuf. So it, it it was a damn shame that he was kicked out. But what is your bad for this week? My bad for this week is the defense. And I wanted to see if the statistics were matching what my eyes and ears were were telling me. Because usually, you know, you, you go by the eye test and then you look at the stats and like, oh, that doesn't match up. Well, it, it matched up uh, for me. So I, the defense was my bad for the week, especially on the road. Portland is allowing 116.8 points per game on the road. They've only held one opponent below 100 points in 11 games away from the row city. Of, of course, that was against Houston, their only victory, allowing just 92 points. Even more, I think, worrisome is Portland just isn't competitive on the road right now. The average margin of defeat is by 14 and a half points and seven of the 10 losses on the road were by 10 or more points. And so then I dug a little bit deeper and just wanted to take a look at Portland's you know statistics defensively, but also compare them last year because everyone knew defense was an issue last year. I mean, we, we spent 
countless of hours complaining about Terry Stotts and his defensive schemes. Um, Neil Olshay also went out and made, I would say, not significant, obviously not significant, but he did make moves to address the defensive side of the ball, especially off of the bench, allowing Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony to, to walk, uh, bringing in Larry Nance Jr. and Cody Zeller to kind of shore up um, that, that defensive back line uh, off the bench. And, you know, overall, it, it really hasn't made too much of a difference. So if you look down, Portland's defensive rating is 29th this year. It was 29th <laughs> last year. It's it's better by about four points, but it's still second worst in the league. Portland is also 25th in opponent points per game. They're giving up about 111 points per game. They were 23rd in that category last year, giving up 114. Scoring is down this year. That's why that number is higher, even though. Uh, Do you think is- the four-point differential is because you can be way more physical? I, I think that's a great uh, observation. Teams are being more uh, physical, less fouls are being called. I mean, just scoring is down, field goal percentage is down uh, across the league. So I, I think you can attribute that there. Um, and then in field goal percentage, Portland is second second worst in field goal percentage for opponents, uh, allowing 47.7%. They were about that same percentage last year, 47.3. That was 25th um, last year. And then I wanted to look at the arc, that the arc is such a critical component to defense in the modern uh, game. And Portland is abysmal there as well. They rank 28th in opponent three points made per game, uh, nearly 14 per game. And they rank 29th in opponent three-point field goal percentage stage, 47.3%. So do you they, think that- 38, they, they allow 38.7% from downtowns. And, and in regards to last year, Portland was 19th. In three points made, 12.9. So they, they are allowing one more three-point made per game this year. And the, the percentage is similar. They, they allowed 37.2 this year. So they are not defending the arc, even with upgrades off of the bench. And then lastly, the one I wanted to look at, because I've always said that teams that make Portland make the extra pass on, on defense. You just kind of you can, you can carve Portland's defense up like a Thanksgiving turkey. I saw that against Utah. There was a play in the second quarter where they were swinging it around the perimeter, and then Conley ended up dribbling it and throwing a lob to Gobert. Teams mm. that assist the ball at a high clip are going to shred Portland's defense. And sure enough, Portland allows the second most assists per game by an opponent, 26.1. They were 16th last year, 24.9. So... Yeah, they may be better guarding the pick and roll this year, but teams are figuring out if you just, like you said, in Utah, first quarter, they were just dribbling the ball, but then they started to figure out, hey, if we make them move and think, the rotations aren't going to get there on time. They're going to find the weakness, and they're getting really any look that they want. The initial defense is better. You Like, yes, yes. eyeball test, it's, they're obviously trying harder. But I, I think that it's because of the scheme that makes them try harder. I feel like this scheme is really awful for Robert Covington. And he's both like, you've seen all the shit that Chauncey Phillips has said about Robert Covington being supposedly being our guy. But I think that putting him in a box, the way that he is supposed to like play defense for this team is really negatively affecting him. So he's, he's not Ben Simmons. He's not Draymond Green. He cannot lock up someone one-on-one. Well, 
so the the what they do with Robert a lot is he's helping on like literally half the court is Robert Covington's responsibility. That is putting that much pressure on him to make every play. Like, let's say that they're loading up on the strong side of the floor. He is responsible for all of the weak side defense, putting that much pressure on him. And then on pick and rolls, having to cover for everybody. Like I know he's not playing good offense right now, but I don't think he's put in any good position defensively to make plays. And I think last year, the saving grace for us not being an all-time bad team was Robert Covington's effort. Like he's he single-handedly won us some games defensively. Now let's putting like Kawhi Leonard amounts of pressure on him to make plays every game, and it's just not him. He's an off-ball free safety. He's not he's not Ramsey on the Rams. He is a uh, I don't know. I feel like this defense isn't. With the rule change, I don't think it's any better than it was last year. Because if let's just say you you could have Ennis Cantor be a bigger bully, would he be as big of a liability if he could use his hands on players like the way that they're playing defense? He would ne- he would nearly be as bad. And Carmelo Anthony being able to be a cheeky defender and like probably pull the jersey. So, I, I mean, like it's it it has a more aggressive package. But when you really look at what we are as a defense. Are we that different than a Terry Stout's coach team? Team smart teams are going to find the weakness. Like imagine what Chris Paul can do against this team when we play him. And I, you know, you watch Steph and the Warriors. Like that's the, the litmus test, right? They are the best team in the NBA right now, and he's arguably the MVP front runner. He was bored carving up our defense, man. Like was- when you when you see him do like celebratory shots and shit he's bored playing against it's so easy like it's easy for him to diagnose what's happening i don't think any coach with any scheme can have even an average defense with the way the roster is currently constructed and that goes back to being undersized and i think underskilled on the defensive end like defense is a skill and we've talked about it ad nauseum sage if you can't stop the ball or if anyone who can just say i'm i'm taking the hot man i'm going to stop them from scoring it just all kind of falls apart one way or another either in the pick and roll or off of dribble penetration or off of ball movement player movement one way or another a good to great team is going to find a way to make you pay and when you lack size and you lack skill on that end of the floor it's this is this is the result. And I think this is a huge reason why they are playing so poorly on the road is teams play better at home. So you're going to get a team's best shot on their home court. And when you have that 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 roster, that scheme and that mentality that we're going to lose, that's why we're seeing seven of 10 losses by double digits. Why we're seeing 15 point margin of, of defeats like Portland is not even competitive. And I, th- I think if Portland were one in 10, and I know nobody would want to be one in 10 on the road, but if they were one in 10 and maybe they were just like losing by three or four points, you're, you can see that, oh, one or two plays here or there, and it's going to turn around. Like it's, it's an 82 game season. Like the, the, the we're laws, losing at such a deficit. There's no, yeah. Yeah. everything is about to even out, but no, it, it hasn't even been, been close. And I think the concerning area is 
teams make that one run and Portland's not even countering. There's not even a punch back. It's like they're getting knocked out and in, in, in the referee saying, you know, that's a 10 count. We're done with this game. Second round knockout. It's a cannabis reference. Anyway, I, I figured it was. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have a thought exercise for you. Let's say a genie granted you a wish and the wish was you could add five inches to this roster. Who are you? Give, how are you dividing the five inches? I, I know this is a bad one, but it, how if you can increase the height of our players by five inches total, who how are you allocating the height increase? From our current starters or current team. Do you make Dame a super duper star by making him six, seven? Or so how, how are you making this team better? If the genie said you can increase the height. This is a really good. Did you just think of this? Yeah. I just thought of it while you were talking. God damn. That is a good ass question. Dame's already like six, three, right? Yeah. I'd give Dame two inches. Just so he'd be even more legit. I would give Anthony Simons. So he'd be six five or something. I'd give him three. I'd give him the other three because I think he's got the. So I'd he'd give, be your I'd starting give three. Two and Nas one. Nas would get a little bit bigger, so he could really play the three. And Anthony, I'd make him six six because I think he at six six could be an all star. So Dame Ant Nas, three the three biggest. Hope uh silver linings on the season. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I thought about Norman Powell, but I think at 6'4, he can play the two guard uh just fine. Um, I thought about CJ, but then even CJ taller doesn't the styles of play still kind of um I mean I couldn't imagine CJ being six eight dribbling like the way he does. Yeah, I think his size actually benefits him if if that makes any yeah, sense. He, at all. Yeah, because he's he's harder to see when you're like, yep. like let's say a center's fighting the guards fighting through a screen and can't, you know, use of seven feet and humongous. So it's the one that I would consider, I wouldn't change any of my answers, but I think if there was a fourth, it would be Larry Nance. So he could actually play the center so seven feet. <laughs> and, and you can have a fully switchable lineup. I think that that would be a consideration for me. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's tough. Like, if Dame was six seven, he he might with that shot and those dribbling skills. Like, shit, we don't need the four other players. Just let let Dame go one v one against everybody. But yeah, like I, I don't know. Like, I feel like you got to make the two and three a little taller. So I, I think Larry, I, I think Nasir Little would be a really good person to make like. If he if he's really six five, let's make him six seven. Cause I, I think with his jumping ability as a six seven forward, he could play the four. Like he ends possessions with those rebounds. So yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I was just thinking, like, how would you improve the team with height? But I, I think like it has to it has to be in the wings, like just the way that we have to play defense with them covering the rolling big, it's like you know, Nas can do a lot better if he's six seven than six five. What was your ugly for the week? I think the injury on Norman Bell has to be my ugly. Like to see because he 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 landed on top, or Robert Covington landed on top of him, 
And he was like not feeling good after that. And then when he went up for that layup and Draymond met him, like the way he limped, I was like, oh shit, this is legitimately serious. And I don't want to know what our, like, I don't know, want to know what our offensive defense looks like when, you know, Tony Snell's taking those shots or playing that defense. Like I, I in that uh, Utah game, I really missed Norman Powell. So him being gone was definitely my ugly. Pardon the pun or the play on words, but my ugly, I would just say the Portland stale Blazers. Uh, And it kind of goes back. Like it was hard because right. The team goes, goes one and three and the trends really um, held, held serve. They won at home. They're bad on the road. Like how do we find a different way to talk about this team on a weekly basis when we're seeing the, the same, same results, we're, we're, we're seeing everything is the, the same. And that's kind of where I was like, everything is the same. And I think that's why that's my ugly for the week is despite a new coach, multiple off season moves, Portland's had great health. Only Norman Powell has missed time in, in our rotation. I think it's been a manageable schedule. The team is worse off compared to last year. Right now at this point, Portland was 12 and nine including seven and four on the road and 10 of those games were played without CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic who got significantly injured right now. You're 10 and 11, one and 10 on the road and you've had great health. Like that is mind blowing to me that how I think upset we were last year. Portland somehow was even better and they are outpacing this current roster, which doesn't pass the smell test, but here, so here we are. How much did you say, did you talk about how negatively affected our offense is? No. Cause I, I would be curious to see what the, what the difference is between our offense last year and this year. Cause I feel like our offense last year was way more potent than it is this year. Well, yeah, because do you think the, the main culprit of that is Dame playing off ball probably because I, I I am a, of the mind that you give your best player the ball the in their head. yeah if we had Draymond Green sure he can play maybe. off ball yeah maybe yeah sure here, here you go well we, we saw it in the Olympics he's not good at it so yeah exactly he's it, it, he takes weird angles like when they do the Iverson cut to get him space, he takes really obscure angles to get the ball past him. He's not and used it, to playing off the ball. Stage. He's it frustrated is. as hell doing it because he because he, he makes gets... this change in year ten. That's my biggest question. Dame is not a spring chicken. He doesn't have. He's a whole my lot age, of... right? Like yeah. he and I are the same age. He's thirty-one. I'm younger. Nice, <laughs> but like, I feel like they <laughs> he. I don't think the coach built the ro- the scheme around their best player. I think he built the scheme around CJ to make him better. And I think that that is a weird swing of logic to make it so your secondary player is as involved as your star. I think it's a weird, like, I think that this scheme negatively affects Dame. I think it negatively affects Yusuf. I think it negatively affects Norman. And and cj are the two that i'm like oh there's a legitimate increase in production because of this so i think i think that the scheme 
is that a fundamental disadvantage when is not making Dame's life easier. In fact, it's making it a lot harder because he has to fight off of like, let's say we're playing Minnesota because we're playing him. Do you think Patrick Beverly is going to let Dame get the ball off ball? Do you think that Drew Holiday is going to let Dame get the ball off ball? Like they're going to make him exert so much energy to get away from them to receive the ball than if he just had the ball in his hands. So I think absolutely him having the ball less. And don't get me wrong. Look at the stats. He has the ball in his hands quite a bit, but they're force feeding. Like it's like force feeding other players to take difficult shots. And I, I, I think that it's a, it's weird to make, make your the best player's life a little harder. Yeah. And I think a lot was made of the free throws and the way the officials were officiating the game this year and how Dame was probably the most negatively affected of all of the, the star players. However, in the past few games, he's had double digit uh, free throw attempts and he's averaging four to 4.6 uh, free throw attempts per game. That's only 2.6 less than last season. He's only taking one fewer shot than last season. However, he averaged 28.8 points per game. He's down to 22. Where Damian Lillard is struggling is in the the percentages. He's 45% from the field last year, 40% this year. And the big big difference, 10.5 threes per game at 39% clip compared to 9.5 this year at a 30% clip. That's where Damian Lillard is struggling. And I think that's where you can pinpoint the Blazers' offense as struggling. I think he was getting better looks with the ball in his hands off of the high pick and roll, letting those three pointers fly. That's where I believe Portland's offense has, has struggled not getting your best player, the ball. Like I will say when you watch the team play, they they do have good ball movement. The ball movement has been better. I don't think the ball sticks as much as it did last year, but I don't think that has made up for the fact that your best player and a top 10 player in the game is not getting the same shots yes, put in the same situations. Like those two don't uh, have equal weight. And I think that's what is attributed. Yeah, It's negatively correlated when Robert Covington shooting a shot, more shots and Dame shooting less. That's a negative correlation for wins. Ball movement's great. It really is. But. I feel like if you're creating shots for people that aren't as good as your best player, it's like it's helping them, but is it helping our team win? Sometimes Dame just needs to be the best player on the team and say, Hey, step back. Daddy's about to win us this game. Or I have, I think he's doing a really good job of getting people the ball, but this seems based be on taking Dame twelve shoot. shots against Utah. That that can't happen. No, like he is our Allen Iverson. Does it, how many times did Allen Iverson not touch the ball in a possession on the Sixers? Few. Yeah, and I think that we're doing a lot of the shit Philadelphia did in two thousand one. Now, maybe it's because Chauncey Billups played then, but like we're trying to make him. Be something is not, man. Let the guy who's used to touching the ball touch the ball. (laughs) I just don't think we're getting many of those. He he doesn't have the ceiling he did last year. 
No, we're not getting those surge moments that that we that we've just grown so accustomed to seeing. And I think you need those on the road more than you do at home. We've talked about this. Role players play better at home. On the road, you need your superstar to set the tone and to bail out your the rest of the team when kind of things are going south and kind of stabilize everyone. But when he's not being put in position to do that, that's not really going to happen. And that kind of brings up my my next point wasn't really a part of an ugly or a bad, but I just noticed that against Denver, Dame and CJ both played so efficient and Denver had had no chance. However, that doesn't happen enough. Frankly, it rarely happens. You look at this road trip, Dame and CJ combined were incredibly inefficient and that is a recipe for disaster. On this last three game road trip, the two of them combined to shoot 35 of 99, which is 35%, 12 of 40 from downtown, 30%. When you're shooting that volume, 35% and 30% aren't going to cut it. And that's Portland in a nutshell right there. I mean, right now, Dame and CJ is what they're hanging their hat on. And it's been discussed. We we, we know where, where we stand on that, but it's just further cements the fact that when those two don't play efficient, the Blazers have zero chance at winning a game. And now that the refs aren't calling as many fouls, like Dame can be in last year. Dame could be completely inefficient, but he has 10 free throws makes it a lot easier. Um, I, I think that the refs are eventually like, I think the three point fouls absolutely do away with them. But when you're driving to the hole and you get fouled and they don't call it, that is fucking annoying. Like, it feels like the refs are starting to be more attentive to, like, rewarding the aggressive drives and shit. But I, I when, when we're inefficient and free throws or easy shots don't bail us out, it's rough out there. But... Dribble. I feel like easy shots have always been an issue for us. How, oh, I always. feel like the only time we were good at like easy like putbacks at Davis getting rebounds. The Blazers, since I've been a fan, have never been good at getting easy shots. The early 90s teams were criticized for their half-court inefficiencies. They were murder in the fast break, but that, that was the, the rap on them. The 2000 Blazers, they didn't have a go-to player. They hung their hat on defense. It was a different player every night kind of bailing them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Charles Barkley first really brought it up during the rise with us Blazers when it was Nate McMillan's ISO ball with Brandon Roy. Portland never got out and ran. They always, you know, they grinded it out in the half court. And then now it's the same thing, just substitute Dame for Brandon. And that's how how it's been. So this, this team, even with all of its greatness, probably – only the 77 Blazers were able to manufacture great shots on a consistent basis. And that was due to Maurice Lucas and Bill Walton's brilliance. Sage dribble, pass, shoot, actually dribble or shoot. We're going to make this a weekly occurrence until something happens. Dribble or shoot. This is the week we find out about Neil Olshay. I'm feeling like we're going to get it in Christmas. So <laughs> Or excuse me, pass or shoot, pass or shoot. Yeah, so I would dribble it, but I'm we're, we're in week four. This this is week four. I feel like if we're a good organization, it would have already been done 
But since that's a questionable thing right now, I think we're waiting a few more weeks. So I'll pass. What about you? I'm going to shoot it. Just I'm trying to uh, speak it into existence. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like there's so many decisions to be made. Like we're putting ourselves at like, when's the trade deadline? Like March? Early February. That's in two months. (laughs) There's so many decisions that need to be made before that. Like, could you imagine re-signing Robert Covington now? With him playing 15 minutes a game? <laughs> like, we need to trade some play. Like, we have four guys that are under six, like, they're under six, four that are our best players. Like, holy shit. <clears throat> there All needs right. to be some shit that's changed, and it hasn't. And I, I don't think it'll, I, I don't think it'll happen until the new year, man. <laughs> Hope you are wrong there, but let's get to some fan questions before we look ahead to this current schedule. I haven't looked at any of these. This is going to be a complete surprise. Question from longtime listener Kim Thrasher. Kim wants to know why on why can't the Blazers play real basketball on the road? They can't just be a home team. Worst record in the NBA. That's cool. I uh, first off, I would like to say love you, Kim, but I, fucking, I don't know, man. It's, I think it, I think it's a mentality, like 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 we talked about with with the free throws. You start doing something enough, and you get the same results. You start to expect that to happen when you do that same action. They're they, now they're getting peppered with questions by the media. Why aren't you guys winning on the road? They see the scoreboard. They know they're not winning on the road. They don't expect to win on the road. That is a huge, the, the mental aspect of the game is such a huge portion of it. I remember I had all of these early 90s uh, Blazers videos that every year they did a video yearbook. And I think it was the 91 video yearbook. The Blazers went like 27 and 14 on the road. At the time, it was a franchise record. Jerome Kersey was interviewed and he's like, every time we step out on the court, we didn't think we were going to win. We knew we were going to win. We expected to win. You have to have that (laughs) mentality when you're on the road. You've got 20,000 people against you. You're going up against a team that's comfortable in their own gym. You're probably playing the third game in five nights. You're not sleeping in your own bed. You're not seeing your family. You're seeing the same people over and over again. You have to go out there and want to prove people wrong. You have to have a nastiness. Portland has none of that. They're so casual right now, just watching them play. It looks like they're just, you know, cool. We're out here. We're just, you know, playing some playground ball, just, you know, kind of chilling, not taking it super, super seriously. There's just, there's no fire. There's no spark. There, there's nothing that the team is collectively rallying behind. Um, there are not just one thing. There are multiple things missing from this team. And those are just some of the reasons that I think the Blazers aren't playing good basketball on, on the road. So I've been seeing this on Twitter. Do you think it's time we bring in some asshole that's going to yell and scream at people's faces? Or how do we get player that aggressive coach. player? That's what pe- people want. Like some people want some guy that's going to scream in people's faces. Well, who? who? Uh, that, that, that would be my question to those people is who? Because if you're going to scream and yell, 
you have to have the reputation. You have to have the credibility. If you're just some bench warmer, they're going to run you out of the, the locker room. Remember how, how CJ dealt with Festus Azili? Like you're not even then on the court, man. You don't deserve you're we don't care uh, what you have to say. I thought that was that was uh not not a good look on CJ's part because Festus Azili had won an NBA championship. He was just trying to help out. Um so I, I did not agree with, with CJ there, but yeah, you can see that's how they handle things in an NBA locker room. Sage, really, I can think of two players that would be able to do that right now. Pat Bell. No, God, no. I oh. think he has a terrible reputation, especially in, in Portland. Uh Udonis Haslam. But he's not leaving Miami. He's not leaving Miami. And Draymond Green, he ain't leaving Golden State. Those are the two players that I think could walk into the locker room right now and say, shut the fuck up. Here's what we're going to do. And everyone would respect and listen. That's it. Yeah. Um, I, I I just think that like the the yelling and screaming shit doesn't work now. These play like it, it, it does, but it has to be by the right. The, the person doing it has to have a weight behind their words. And not many people have that, like in today's NBA. So that's why those players are so, so rare. And they um, don't leave their you can't team. Just have, yeah, you can't just have some rando walk up and start rah-rahing and, and getting in somebody's face. There's, It's not going to hold any weight. They're, they're just going to tell you to, to piss off. I think, like, I watched, like, Willie Green, and I feel like the way to get these guys to play better is to inspire them and not like shit on their mistakes. So I, I, I have a different way of like I want my guys to communicate better with each other as a team and work together to create one common cause. I think like the yelling, screaming shit just doesn't work. Also, maybe the team. I mean, not maybe the team just isn't good. So. I don't think anybody expected one in 10 on the road bad, but it, it's just, it's not a good constructed team. So when you face teams in their home gyms, they're just kind of pick it, picking them apart. So that's just, it's a lot of uphill obstacles for the Blazers to, to navigate and they're not even getting past the first couple, um, unfortunately. So is it, is there another fan question or do we just have beloved Kim Thrasher? Uh, one more, uh, actually. Yeah, one more. No, two more. Two more. One's a quick one that I'll make a comment on. Uh, but question from from uh, at Kat Renzer, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Catherine wants to know, what are some best tips for self-care in reference to <laughs> this termulous? I just made up that word. Trailblazer season. That sounds like a disease in the fucking 40s. <laughs> 1840s, not 1940s. <laughs> I got the terminus. I have only a week to live. Uh, well, don't watch the Trailblazers if you only have a week to live. You want to be happy. What are your yeah, self- watch the Warriors or the Suns or someone what, fun? What are your self care tips, Sage? It's like my self tips are different than yours because you you've been a fan of this team for thirty plus years. I've only done it 10, so day-to-day watching this team isn't as bad as it is for people that have lived the Rip City life for a while. I bet against the Blazers, and I'm normally right. (laughs) So I guess 
get into the Oregon sports book and bet the over, bet bet the against the other team. And Sage, you know, are we going to need to put one of those disclaimers in the podcast? Like, if you need to seek gambling help, please call this number. I haven't gambled in three days. I know. I was saying you were saying, "Hey, gamble for self care." I think we need to put some disclaimers in there. Well, what I do is, uh, who are we playing next? Detroit Pistons. Yes. I'm going heavy on Zadik Bay and DFS. I'm going heavy on Jeremy Grant and DFS. We're an awful defensive team. So yeah, I, I, I try and I I try not to get as up and down as uh, most people. I, th- I think I have a more even keel. I, I guess I shouldn't have done the arm movement of even <laughs> on a podcast, but I try and stay more even keel than. You know, I use the knowledge I have of this team to my financial gain more. So, yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. That's worked for me this year. Like I, I due to the whole debacle with with root sports, um, I'm only able to watch the national games. So when I do get to watch them, like I just try to enjoy it. Like if you know, root for them to, to do well. If they win, cool. If they lose, cool. Uh, when I when I listen to the games on the radio, like just kind of accept whatever loss happens, like don't really root for either result. Like there's removing emotion from the sport. I think you've done a really good job at that because you as a person is very emotional. So to, to take that away from the result that you're, you know, like you have a blazers room, you have multiple blazers room. I'm looking at your office right now. Like, you've done a very good job of taking the emotion out of the game. Cause I, I am who you text during blazer games. Mostly you do not take the, you had the emotion for most of the, our friendship. It's like, Oh, we're doing shitty. I'm going to get a text from Dustin about how shitty we're doing eventually. So I, I, I want to co- congratulate you on your uh, taking s- some, some of the emotion out of watching blazer games. Cause yeah, it's, also, like knowing the expectation of this team, right? They are a second round ceiling. They're going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to go on some win streaks. They're probably going to go on some losing streaks. So just go into that knowing it. Also, like watch other games too. I've watched other teams. I've read more than I've ever. No, I wouldn't say that more than ever. I've been doing a good job of reading probably the past five years, but like finding, finding different books to read. Um, I still like watching old games. Um, that's been, I just, I just love nerding out on that and, and finding other. We'll also do some throwback Thursdays. Cause this shit's not. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I get to see you. So that's, that, that's, that's cool. it. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's a challenge to discuss. Like what, what are we, we going to talk about? They won at home. They lost on the road. Like this is. This find is, some players that you love. Like I love Herbert Jones. Yeah. So I, I get to watch her play defense players you like that aren't on the blazers that you that you can follow who are some of the guys that you love watching uh right now john moran's my guy that damn shame about his injury but thankfully it's not season ending yeah i i think that who we're gonna play in a few days is one of my favorites Dejounte murray i love cole anthony if anyone wants the 12 <laughs> serial on the newest top shot i i got you um also, not being emotional. Scotty, has Scotty Barnes to, is also awesome. Has allowed me to enjoy other teams. Like I love the Bucks with Giannis and Drew. I enjoy watching the Warriors now. Like they're they're not my rival. Like that's it's 
they're, they're fun to watch watching Steph run around the court is, has been fun. Uh, Phoenix is on a 16 game win streak. Like there's a lot of the Lakers are losing. That's, that's something we all can rally behind. Yeah. So um, there, there are things to do. Um, college basketball is coming. Like watch Gonzaga or Duke. Yeah. yeah scout young prospects. We don't have um, a pick in the first round, most likely, but still. Likely. I what mean, I did today was really good. Like turned off the lights, had the Christmas lights in the house, <laughs> lit some candles, had the radio on, and was just like, you know, chat. Was just chatting with Olga, but also petting the cats, like just had the game on. Like it wasn't, it wasn't top of like all of my intention was devoted to it. Like also, don't feel bad if you miss a game. Like that's this this team's not 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 worth it. Not right now to be like diehard fan where you have to watch every single game or you feel like you're this isn't the year to do that. Like no, no, no. This is the, the year only reason I do it is because of this. One of us needs to watch these damn games. <laughs> so I, I watch every game, but it's like, like if we're losing by 25, I'm playing Grand Theft Auto while I'm watching. Like, if I could, I still probably would watch every game, but yeah, like sports has been. Oh, I have. Did we do our uglies? I don't remember. Uh, yes, we did. Oh, can I add another ugly? Ugly junior. Yeah. Well, this might be ugly senior to be completely Ooh. honest. Ugly the third. Like this is the first, like the ugly that I said that I Norman Powell's injury. It's secondary, actually. On on charter, or I guess it's spectrum. There's the HD and the standard def. Standard def is on both. There's no HD on spectrum cable, right? In Southern Oregon. So we go from you know the the base channel to the HD, same fucking thing. There's the big black bar surrounding it on both and then sometimes on the hd channel you get the perfect hd no sound so fuck root sports sorry norman Powell. sorry you got hurt but i need my hd you are the ugly senior <laughs> this of the is league. like this is watching fucking 2000s basketball man like i need like I remember you texting me. Why is De'Aaron Fox so mad? I'm fuck if I know. I can't see shit with this standard <laughs> definition. So yeah, that's my ugly fucking Christ, Ruth Sports. One last, and then it doesn't. It it says it's cracking on the you know the the scroller. It's like cracking inside cracking. It's not Blazers basketball. So you gotta know when the games start to watch it. It's such a it's a mess. Um, every everything has been a mess. Uh, so self-care is to put yourself first and if you don't want to if you don't want to deal with it don't feel bad find other things to do uh anything but last and by anything it's read a book go for a walk listen to the game watch the game don't take it too serious watch other games uh watch just for players like the greg brown dunk at the end of the denver game was the best thing i saw all week like that was that was sick. And that's actually my good junior is the, the Greg Brown dunk. And one thing that I'm going to add to my bad is Chauncey Billups not standing up for his youngster. He had a chance when asked about his thoughts to really champion Greg and say, yeah, I thought that was awesome. But he said, no, I probably wouldn't have done it in my day due to the unwritten rules. Well, you know what? Fuck unwritten rules. If unwritten rules were so sacred, guess what? They would be written. Quit being old curmudgeons and let the kids have fun. 
NBA basketball is sports and entertainment. And what Greg Brown did was sports and it was really fucking entertaining. So I salute you, Greg Brown, uh, to do pull off an East Bay funk in game was absolutely ridiculous. Keep doing it. I don't care if it pisses off Chauncey Bullops one iota. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's weird. Like, you know, when I'm with my family, my mom or my brother asks about the other coach and I'll bring up like, you know, some random thing I've seen or, you know, like whatever. And then I'll, I'll be like, yeah, but I would die to have fucking any coach on this team. Like, oh, we're playing the New Orleans. Like, yeah, they're really bad, but I would kill that Willie Green. Like, I fucking hate watching Chauncey Billups's teams play basketball. Like, I, I can't even, like, it's elementary shit that he doesn't get, and it pisses me the fuck off. It's the risk you take when you hire a brand new head coach. But real quick, Sage, about these unwritten rules. I'm curious as to when they, when like scoring, when the game was already wrapped up, became taboo. Because as I mentioned, I watch a ton of old Blazer basketball. Clyde Drexler would do that shit all the time. Like he would just go down and dunk on teams and nobody cared. They kind of just like shook hands after the game. Like it just seems like only in the past like 10 or 15 years that people are like all up in arms when somebody tries to dunk and like I really don't care like maybe don't get your ass kicked yeah like I remember when Russ got mad at uh Bagley no not Bagley uh one of the Oklahoma City guys from stealing the ball and running it it down Baisley Darius Baisley I I knew it had a B and an A um like dog don't get your don't blow the lead to the worst team in existence right now like I don't know man like isn't this about entertainment like Yes. Like, I feel like NBA basketball is two things. Entertainment business and relationship business. Like, if you 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 want to make this thing as entertaining as possible. So this unwritten rule bullshit, I don't... It's starting to sound like old white man baseball. Let the kids have fun. I, I tr- Like, I truly don't care that Greg Brown was disrespectful. I'm glad he was disrespectful. I we were, as, as if, weren't we kicking their ass? The yes. fact that Greg Brown is in the game right now is disrespectful enough to you. Like, let, let's be real. Greg Brown shouldn't see a minute of game time. If this was a competitive game, he wouldn't be in. Do your work in the first 47 minutes of the game instead of getting mad at he's 19 years old. Yeah. He's expressing himself. The fact that he's made kind of a brand about the East Bay Funk Dunk, good for him. He's not making that much money in comparison to every other player on the team. Let him eat. Create a brand around it, man. Like, how many people have done it? Like, Ricky Davis? Not, not Maybe many. Maybe Josh game. Smith? Like, it, it, that's dope. I, I, I want to buy the top shot. Like, that should be his rookie moment. That would be a. That probably will be. <laughs> All right, Sage, let's look ahead. Uh, Four-game homestand coming up for the Trailblazers. Uh, they play a back-to-back against the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons, who have number one pick, Kate Cunningham, on the roster, are 4-16 and 16 on the season, second worst in the Eastern Conference, and they sport just a 2-8 and eight record away from the Motor City. They are currently on a six-game losing streak. 
what does Portland have to look out for when it comes to playing the Detroit Pistons? Is it really just a letdown because it's a weaker opponent or is there something schematically or is there a matchup that, that could give Portland fits? I think Kate Cunningham's size could be a really big problem. He's like a six, seven point guard. I mean, right now I haven't looked at his stats in a minute since I've been at my mom's, but at the beginning of the year, he was like an all time bad shooter, but in college, he was a 40% three-point shooter. So eventually, it's going to normalize where he is hitting threes. And what I think is awesome about Cade Cunningham currently is that he's getting all the other stats. Like, he's getting seven rebounds and getting eight assists. Once the shooting comes, he's going to be a fucking problem. And you know what's a get-right game? Going against the Portland Trailblazers when you're the one with the ball in your hand. Who is going to guard Cade Cunningham? They run a tall lineup, like Cade Cunningham, 6'7", Sadiq Bey is 6'8", Jeremy Grant, 6'8". Like, they have a lot of long, lengthy, lanky dudes. How are we going to stop this team on the offensive end since we have four, well, three right now, six, three guards? How are we going to play defense? So I think the matchup between the wing guards and wings is going to be the biggest matchup. Is I just need to see who matches Isaiah Stewart's energy. Yeah. Dude, we were so wrong on him as a player because he did not show this potential at UW. No, he didn't. No, he. I, I, I like him. Like, I like this team. I watched him when Kelly Uber or no Kelly Olenek was running center. This is a fun team. They're bad, but they're going to play athletic. They're going to play hard. They have three point of attack defenders. We don't have one. Portland then takes on the San Antonio Spurs on Thursday. The Spurs are 6-13, and 13, currently 12th in the Western Conference. Uh, again, not a good road team, 2-7 and seven away from San Antonio, but they have won two straight games. Sage, this isn't your mom's or your grandma's. San Antonio Spurs, a lot of new faces and not many familiar ones, but there is one in DeJounte Murray that you my mentioned. My boy, my boy. Yeah, he's like, he, again, a lot of my studying is about production. My man is, fills up the stat sheet in every category. He gets like 18 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, gets two steals. Like, he fills up that box score. Plays good defense. Oh, God damn. He plays great defense. Like, DeJounte is one of my favorite players in the league right now. He is, he is a, fucking menace to society on the defensive end like i don't think they're a good team right now but uh Dejounte's great uh jake puddle uh Jakob Pertl is a very good defensive center don't, don't like the name might be a little goofy but dude can block some shots he is a good well, defender i think blazer fans remember Jakob Pertl from last year's mlk game where he single-handedly shifted momentum oh, I, yeah, I, I everyone on the boards. Yeah, this is kind of a tricky game because Popovich teams always play hard and they can get on you, especially with, they have Keldon Johnson as well, who played on the Olympic team. You Devin mentioned Bissell. Pearl, Devin Bissell. My boy. Um, you know, shit, I had a really good point. I had a really good point. Um, yet oh greg popovich is a really good coach too they have they, they definitely went on the uh the coaching front that was not my good point 
they're they actually are a pretty tall team too with Derek White being the two um Kelvin they just smacked oh the no no whatever by 17 tonight you know who i want on that if you know who i want neil or whoever the gm is to trade for we need a vet i want thaddeus young on my team i think i think a, he, I think a lot of contending teams are going to go after thaddeus young yeah like i i think he would be pretty perfect for that vet role he's a legitimately good player still if you watch the bulls last year he was the he was the x factor for that team he doesn't get as much run as he should. I think San Antonio at the deadline should trade him, and I would love for him to fill that vet role for the Portland Trailblazers. Up next will be the Boston Celtics, who are off to a rocky start as well, 11-10 and 10 on the season, currently 11th in the Eastern Conference, 500 on the road with six victories, and they have won uh, one in a row. They do have size on the wing, which we know gives – Portland fits stage. What should Portland be on the lookout for? This is one of the games where Yusuf Nurkic needs to play 30 plus minutes. The one weakness, well, many weaknesses for the Celtics, but the one that was the most glaring for the longest time, bad rebounding team. Yusuf Nurkic is a top 10 rebounder in the league, according to the jazz uh, announcers. So I'll believe them. I think Yusuf Nurkic needs to put his imprint on this game from jump. Um, Dame and CJ are going to be better than Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder. But where I want to see us really focus is on those boards, gang rebounding, boxing out, making sure that that inept defensive rebounding team is inept against them. I mean, Jason Tatum this year has been his most inefficient. And I think it's a lot of... His favorite player is Kobe Bryant, so he's taking a lot of Kobe Bryant shots. Like he is not dunking, he is not going. He to the was rim. two of sixteen in their victory, their most recent victory against the Toronto Raptors. If that, I, I, who, who's their general? Who's the general manager now? That was Brad Stevens. Touch. Thank you, Brad Stevens. Did a lot of good plays for Jason Tatum last year. Um, Jason Tatum doesn't finish around the rim well when there's contact, so he would do this. Uh, he would do this play where Daniel Tice set the screen on his guy and he would just rim run. I don't see Ime doing that as much. So like, I think that Jason Tatum wants to be Kobe. He's not getting the plays called for him that allow him to have those easy baskets. So he might have, he might have that uh, ceiling game against us, but Right now, he's playing at his most inefficient ever. But I, what I really want to see is us focusing on those boards. And Al Horford has really, really messed up production for Time Lord. I did not think that was going to happen, but Al Horford is the better player right now. 17 and 11 on over 50% shooting he's, against those he's a Raptors. Good, yo, he, he took a vacation is, from while he was in OKC and decided to be a good player. It's like crazy a, to see when you're happy playing basketball, you play a lot better. Like a fine wine, Al Horford is just getting better with age. They have a team that really worries me in terms of they have a, a guy in Dennis Schroeder who can take over a game off, quick. off of the bench. They have a guy in Marcus Smart who plays with a lot of hustle and heart and can uh, really wreck a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of the looks Portland's looking to get from the backcourt. You mentioned uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford, they have got size and rebounding and defense. And then it's just the wings. When you look at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, both we, can go so We didn't talk about Jalen Brown. Brown. Yeah. yeah, 
so they, they've got those wings that can take over a game and we have no size. We have nobody to guard either player. Um, no, I can't is, guard them both. This is going to be, and they also have Josh Richardson off the bench too. Like, so they have a lot of talent. Um, they're just starting to figure out how to play together. This could be a really good test for the Blazers. The last game of the week for Portland, whew, the LA Clippers. On the 6th of December, it'll be the fourth and final matchup Thank against, God. against the Clippers. Uh, Portland is down 2-1 in the series. Right now, the Clippers are fourth in the Western Conference, 11-9 uh, on the season. Just 2-4 and four away from Staples Center, so they haven't played too many games away from Los Angeles. Uh, lost one game, but we know they have been good at home against Portland. Portland had their way despite Paul George going for 42 in the first game in the Rose City. Uh, Batum broke out last game. Luke Kennard's had his way in one of the first two games. Um, just thinking of all of the different ways the Clippers have kind of given us fits. Reggie Didn't Jackson, Reggie have a good one? Yeah. Yes. And, of course, Paul George. So they are kind of putting it together. And I said this on one of the earlier episodes, but – Despite the injury, the Clippers are treating this season like they're contending. Like they feel like they are in the upper echelon of the NBA. And they know that once they get Kawhi Leonard back, they they are a threat. So even without Kawhi, their best player, they're still holding it down, fighting and believing because they have that hope. I don't see that same mentality from a healthy Portland roster. So It'll be interesting to see with this being the fourth matchup that basically it'll make the teams even in the tiebreaker with other scenarios would would say who has the tiebreaker that Portland has to get this win with the West being so tight four through 10. So this is the most important game of the week for me. Is there anything that we haven't seen over the first three games that you're looking for? Or is there something that you think could rear its ugly head and be of be of menace to the Trailblazers? I think Serge Ibaka being back. I don't. I don't remember him being there for the first, at least first two. He might have been back in a limited capacity. But think about the Clippers' defense. Paul George, man. Uh, I forgot Terrence Mann. Yeah, Terrence Mann basically saved them against the Utah Jazz in the postseason last year. He can go out for thirty on a given night. I feel like their guys don't talk much, and Serge Ibaka is very vocal. So having a guy that's can speak and talk to the his defense that could be a new level of like rotations and defensive pressure to have surge uh back so maybe a better defense from them a better initial attack better rotations so that might be the one but i mean we played them so many times in the first month and a half of the season that we know what they're doing and they know what we're doing so who can out execute the other yeah, I think it's going to come down to role players in this one. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein came off the bench and had 14 points on six of seven shooting the last meeting. Abaka did play just only five minutes, but Nicholas Batum had 22 points. And I believe that was the first, the announcer said that was his first 20 point game in something like four seasons. So he got that bag from Charlotte, bro. If, if you're getting those type of productions from unexpected sources, who is going to match that on Portland's end? Is it going to be an Anthony Simons? Are you going to get a big game from Nasir or Tony Snell? Or is Covington going to do what he did against the Indiana Pacers and come up clutch with three after three? 
Is Larry Nance going to go six of seven? So who on Portland's, I think, unexpected player list can exceed or you just match the Clippers and then let Dame and CJ and Norm, if Norm's back by this point, really do what they can against PG and Reggie. Is this a use of Nurkic cam? I don't think so. Because he can match Zubach pretty easily. And then Hartenstein, he could defend too. Are we going to see a, th- a, pl- a 28 plus minutes played? I mean, he played 27 in the last game and he had just, he had a great game statistically, you know, 15, 13, six dimes, only two turnovers, only missed three shots. But yet you look at the finals, Portland gives up 117 and their bigs were busy. Isaiah Hartenstein did a lot of work against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, I, I remember it was mostly pick and roll and it, like, again, not used his responsibility yeah, on that. Teams are making Portland pay for playing. Three guards. Yeah. And, and, and Nurk, Nurk and Covington can't cover everything. So um, I honestly think this needs to be a game where Portland just gets something out of Robert Covington. Like he, if you're going to start, you can't be two of eight. You can't be O of three. He's going to have to keep the defenses honest. So it allows a little bit of wiggle room. At least shoot the damn ball. Yeah. And then my other X factor is Norman Powell. If we, again, remember, go back to that game. He He was was on fire, dribbling to the basket, taking his man off the, off the, off the bounce, getting to the cup, easy buckets. Chauncey sits him and sits him and sits him. He comes in. It's too late. The tide had turned and Portland completely went away uh, from Norman Powell and the game was lost. So um, I, I think those two things, Portland's forward, starting forwards, w- what are you going to get from them? And I think they really need to look at, at Powell. He can take his man and feed him. Like it, just like we talked about the Oregon Ducks earlier on making things harder for themselves. The Blazers do the exact same thing. Something working like, no, nah, let's, let's just try something else. Like just for the hell of it. That's what they like to do. no, Go to the well, keep going to the well until that shit dries out. All right. You ready to wrap this up? Um, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3, 4 to 5 Eastern, and be good to each other, and we're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's-